Well, I'm excited to be joined by author, explorer, researcher, Hugh Newman. Hugh, thanks for joining me again on Megalithic Marvels. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Man, it's it's hard to keep up with you. You're always traveling the world. It seems like every time I look at your Instagram or YouTube, you're somewhere else. Uh, tell us about your latest travels real quick and any exciting projects you're looking forward to. So in, in late December, we, me and JJ Ainsworth, along with Andrew Collins and a couple of friends in Turkey, we uh, went to um, Karahan Tepe specifically to, to have another look and record and observe the um, winter solstice sunrise alignment that me and JJ discovered the year before we went there. And we were lucky. The weather was brilliant. Um, and we got to see three mornings of the light coming through the porthole stone, illuminating the head of this 11,400-year-old site. So that was the big thing we've been focusing on and continue to focus on, actually. Um, we're, we're writing more and more about this. We've had a big article came out about this, um, uh, actually before this solstice, we put it up on Graham Hancock's website. He was very kind. He, he really liked what we'd done. Um, and obviously the Karahan Tepe and Gebekli Tepe featured quite prominently in his brilliant Netflix show, Ancient Apocalypse as well. So we were kind of delighted. It all kind of linked together. And uh, yeah, and uh, since then, we're just uh, focusing on writing, um, and, and prepping for some tours and conferences and everything else we've got planned for 2023. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to start out talking about Karahan Tepe. I watched your one of your latest videos about it. It was great. Uh, for people who might not be totally aware of this amazing site like you are, can you give us a little background into kind of when and how it really began to be discovered? And then I want to, and how it relates to Gobekli Tepe. Sure. Well, Karahan Tepe is, uh, it goes back to 11,400 years old or 9,400 BC. It's the oldest date they've got on it. But we were visiting there for many years before it was excavated. So you were seeing these kind of little T-pillars sticking out of the ground. And there was an unfinished 18-foot monolith still in the quarry part of the site over on the, on the west. Um, and we kind of knew something major was going to be found there. I mean, I've been going there since like 2014 or something. and and it was only in 2019 it began to be excavated by uh, the uh, Istanbul archaeology team. And and what they found already, only a very small amount of the site has been found, is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, it's on par with Gebekli Tepe. And even that site is only a few hundred years older and potentially slightly bigger. And we're finding the massive T-pillars. We're finding bedrock you know carved solid out of solid bedrock hypergeum type kind of underground or kind of pits and things like this huge enclosure larger than anything at gebekli tepe with eight potentially 18 t-pillars in the perimeter it's like a elliptical oval shape uh 75 feet wide on the western side it's really interesting about five of the t-pillars it's almost like they have you know several freestanding t-pillars then they start blending into the bedrock and they're literally carved directly out of the bedrock and as the hill rises up on the western side and so you've got a remarkable um series of features there which are unique the the ab pit or the pillar shrine it's like a seven by six meter um really interesting sunken pit carved out of bedrock with these bedrock pillars sticking up they look kind of phallic they look like mushrooms they're very odd 
and then there's a freestanding pillar which is like almost like a rising serpent and then there's a head sticking out of the western edge with this intense look on its face with like serpentine scales on its neck and that's what gets illuminated on the winter solstice around december the 21st uh and still still works today it probably worked better you know 9400 bc that's what we that's what we've realized it probably would have been a slightly lower angle so a slightly better illumination of the head and it kind of moves around the head starts over here moves around the head over about but now we've worked out it's about 45 minutes and it starts around 10 minutes after sunrise in our article we weren't sure because we didn't catch all the sunrise the previous year so we're going to update everything and publish it all um in articles and on video um coming out soon so yeah but Karahan Tepe it's just tip of the iceberg Leshmi Corral the head archaeologist says only one percent has been uncovered and they're realizing it stretches over this huge area only one percent they think has been uncovered that's incredible so many questions I've got for you about this site and um on the podcast I'm going to link to your YouTube video everybody's got to go watch that because you've just got some uh, amazing drone footage of the site and then this face, um, yeah, so there's this one enclosure that's got the, the famous face that you photographed and these other pillars sticking up. Um, so you're saying this face has like serpentine features going down the neck? Because, I mean, if this thing's 11,400 years old, I mean, this face is still, it's so well preserved still, it's incredible. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's about three times the size of like my head, for instance. It's got a flat top. It's got like this almost like a speaking mouth, and the eye is interesting. Nesmi Corral pointed this out um, that they they look towards the right. It's right uh, towards the porthole stone where the the uh, where there's this gap, you know, which the sunlight comes through. So clearly, and that's, that's kind of carved out of bedrock as well. This port, this hole in the in the stone. It's like a, it's very odd. And but yeah, and what happened was, and there's been a paper published by Neshmi Corral on this, is the fact that they they deliberately filled it all in, in specific layers of soil and debris and rock, and then they're quite large slabs on top. So it was all preserved. Everything was preserved almost as it was when they decided to cover it over. Probably around uh, what eight and a half, eight thousand year, uh, eight thousand BC, and so that's why it's been preserved. But if you look in the main enclosure. Most of the stuff, most of the T pillars, uh, everything's quite badly damaged. It's almost like they deliberately decommissioned, damaged the site before they then covered that over as well. Uh, and uh, most of the site is still covered over, but it was the same at Gebekli Tepe, same, same kind of principles. And so that in its own right is a huge amount of work and must have been traditional, must have been a thing they did way back then. So that had to be quite, I mean, to me, this seems like a fairly incredible discovery. And you're saying, I think you and JJ made the discovery where with the solstice, where the light goes through what you call the portal stone and actually hits that face. How did you kind of give us the backstory of how you discovered this? Because to me, this is incredible. Yeah, well, we were there last year, 2021. Uh, we were there in December because we hadn't been since it had been excavated. It was our first chance to go. So we, we went, we we drove a lot. We were all along the South Coast, you know, doing huge amounts of driving, this, that, and the other. And um, and I we went to see Caravan today, but I popped up there to see because I know the family there. I've known them since 2014. Andrew Collins has been going there 
even longer than that and we kind of got to know them and everything over the years having tea and lunch with them whenever we visit and stuff like this so i was kind of popped up there to visit them just to have a look you know and then jj we were going to go the next day for a full day visit kind of thing but then i got a call um from uh the family member ishmael and he uh said oh by the way <laughs> all the officials are coming in tomorrow and they're going to cover it over because of the extreme bad weather because it was horrific rain and wind and, and light thunder and things like this were taking place for a couple of weeks and we were like oh god you know so we thought we better get there uh first thing just get there as early as possible to make sure they don't cover it over before we see it kind of thing and we kind of had a sense there was going to be something there because we knew about something Andrew Collins had discovered this summer solstice sunset alignment over a different enclosure, which is uh, like the sunken subterranean pit um, and the unfinished pit is called. And, and so the opposite of the summer solstice sunset is the winter solstice sunrise. If you're looking at it kind of from a, on a map, that's how, that's how it works. And um, so we were thought, well, maybe there's something there. We, 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 let's go and check it out. And 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 we and that's when we witnessed it. We witnessed suddenly this head was being illuminated. We were like, "What the hell?" This was like we got there about half an hour after sunrise because of it was cloudy for a while, so we had to wait for the clouds to clear. And we got there a few minutes late, but then we saw it and it kind of moved around the head. This was me and JJ kind of just freaking out. We were like, "What the hell?" This is you know, and, and obviously no one had seen it before because they'd only uncovered it properly uh within you know within the last year before we were there so no one would have seen it anyway even if they were looking before that particular day and then they covered it all over so no one else could go there and, <laughs> and witness it and this was on the 20th of december and so yeah so we realized this is this is quite a major thing um we wrote about it we published on it put videos out on it and uh you know a lot of people you know don't believe it or something they can't believe it's a real thing they're claiming there's a roof over it so it wouldn't have seen it or they're claiming oh well it doesn't work it wouldn't have worked eleven thousand four hundred years ago because of obliquity because of precession but we checked all that and it's only less than a degree difference and actually it might have improved it we've worked out it might have been a better illumination even back then and so yeah we were pretty convinced that they were marking the winter solstice and this was part of their ceremonial it was part of their practical agricultural kind of revolution which was just beginning at this time it's like these sites were built and then the agricultural revolution farming animal domestication all this stuff took 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 force and, and, and went ballistic and we think that there's more to it than that you know I've got, I've got a good sense and there's been some evidence emerged from Gebekli Tepe that they were working with magnetism and this would enhance the seeds and grains and they were doing ceremonies to start with to do this and they realized there's a kind of they realized they, that there's something about the geology the magnetism in the earth and stuff like this and so this is why they were choosing these specific spots to build these sites. And we know now that there were many of these sites. It's called the whole Testepola region. And there's like officially 12, but potentially many more, all of a similar design and style and remarkable things are now coming out the ground because they're excavating all of them slowly over the next few years. I've seen other uh, video and photos of some, I think they've been pulled out of the same site basically really defined faces, statue faces. Um, I don't know the name of it, but there's one that's just got um, this amazing, like brow, big brow lines on the head and this, yeah. you know, kind of squarish mouth. Did that come from the same site? And is there anything you know about it? 
Yeah, that's one of the uh, that's one of the, the famous statues that came out of um, uh, Karahan Tepe. Yeah, that's one of the many. There's a good, really cool room display now at Shanlurfa Museum, which is the local town to Karahan Tepe and Gebekli Tepe, and there there's remarkable statues are being found really beautifully carved pieces the head you're talking about was found embedded in one of the walls and it's got like these big frown lines it looks like on it and really elongated at the back so people are questioning is that representing an elongated headed person others suggest it's actually a mask the representation of a mask which is we know they were using they had stone masks have been found there small and large ones and also the head, they say, could be a hood. It could be where the hair collected at the back. Who knows? I mean, but this was obviously part of a much larger statue, even though it's only one small, worst, like it's pretty big. It's like this, this wide and this, this thin kind of thing. And it's one of many. I mean, there's, there's more artifacts there. There's beautiful, beautiful pieces carved out that are very small. And remember, this isn't, none of this is really pottery. This is pre-pottery Neolithic era, officially. So this is all carved out of stone. Then, they, then there's these quite large stone plates, which are carved of all these different types of stone, some of them extremely hard stone, like possibly diorites and other things, uh, different types of granite. These were found around the benches, around the main enclosure on the benches. And these are like something you find in Egypt, like beautifully polished, you know, really hard stone. So how on earth were they shaping and polishing stone 11,400 years ago? This is one of the big, big question marks, um, along with these really abstract, odd statues like the, like the one you mentioned. So you said the stone here is what again? Well, there's different types of stone uh, they found. I mean, the main stone of the site is limestone. It's a limestone plateau. It's a, uh, it's different qualities uh, through different regions. There's no there's a basalt outcrop a few miles away. So some of the basalt plates were made from could have been um, from there. But generally, there's nothing else. It's just limestone. Really, really. Some of it's really fine limestone. Some of it's a bit more got more holes in it. So this one enclosure that's got the face and these other um, mysterious pillars. What do you think was originally happening in this chamber? Was it mostly a ceremonial chamber, do you think? Yeah, I think it's more ceremonial than anything else. I mean, it's clearly got water going on with it. There's channels leading into it. There's obviously got the hole um, which the light comes through on the winter solstice. It doesn't work any other time of year, by the way. It just works on the winter solstice. Um, and there step there were, there were kind of very faded steps going down into it from, through the hole so there may have been some kind of ceremony I talked a lot of trying to work this out with JJ and Andrew Collins about what we think was going on we, it's like they were going through because all these these three enclosures the main 75 foot wide almost like stone circle type enclosure enclosure um a uh, ad i think joining enclosure ab the pillar shrine then joins up to the next enclosure the sunken area as well where it seems appears to be unfinished which i think contained water and so these are all kind of joined together as though there's some kind of process uh that must have took place um potentially you know winter solstice fertility ceremonies because the main enclosure is big enough to have major dances and events there's big seats like thrones carved out of solid bedrock facing east so facing the sunrise um, but remember, this is just what's been uncovered so far. So no doubt more will come out and, uh, and the story will uh, become more clear.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tell us about the serpent-like pillar that's in the enclosure. And you mentioned in your video the oral traditions of, I think, Anki, the Sumerian god, and a possible connection. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, if you look into the... um different traditions i mean you got like i talk mainly about the head the stone head and the serpentine neck on it um but there's also another stone which you, you which is like a freestanding pillar because the rest are carved out of bedrock which is slightly curved it's almost looked like it's got an eye on it so it looks like a bit of a serpent jj's convinced it's representing a serpent coming up other people say Martin sweatman suggests that like half a large oval um kind of porthole stone um and that's half that's left and that was balanced there like the T pillars are balanced in the main enclosure, kind of just in this small pocket, a socket in the ground. But the whole thing, I mean, if you look into the myths of Enki and Enlil, uh, uh, the traditional stories of the Sumerians specifically, not um, Zachariah Sitch and stuff or anything like that, but the translations I've, I've been reading are, are, are from um, Christian O'Brien and the genius of the few um, and the shining ones books that came out in the eighties. And, if you look into these myths of Enki and Enlil and so forth, they talk about this virility, this fertility, um, and often uh, there's lots of, sort of kind of sexual or kind of uh, that, that, that kind of thing mentioned. It appears to sound like that, but these are like gods we're talking about here. And they would fertilize the land with their seed and all this kind of stuff. And they were often represented as the serpent people. And then you have the goddess Ninhasag or Ninlil. Um, that's one of the primary kind of seven sages, seven gods and goddesses of ancient Sumeria. Um, and these were, and you start reading all these stories and all these myths, and they all kind of fit with what you can see at places like Karahan Tepe and Gebekli Tepe. Uh, I mean, I know Andrew Collins has made the connection between this area and those stories before. And I think there's, there's definitely something in that. And I think, um, you know, we kind of, we've got a second article coming out on Graham Hancock's website. We're still, we're taking our time with it because it's going to be part of a, a book we're going to do in the future. And there's remarkable amount of evidence that connects this to goddess traditions. If you know the work of Maria Gimbutas, is something JJ's does a huge amount of research on. She's studied all her work. And she's and all the symbology, all the different styles and everything else are linked with this fertilizing goddess principle, which is found throughout Europe, uh, going back to the Mesolithic to the similar era 
to Karahan Tepe. And this is also found here. So this is maybe where it all originated, these goddess traditions, these fertility rites, even the stories of Enlil and Enki, where they're like, because even in them stories, they clearly talk about the creation of farming. They talk about how it all began after they built some temples, after they built their kind of great house, uh, their, their, their home called Karsag, inside the Garden of Eden. And so on and so forth. And so it all kind of fits. Everything in these old stories is starting to make sense um, with all the new discoveries that are coming out. And one of the pillars you pointed out in your video um, in the ceremonial enclosure, I believe, has what looks like eight fingers on a hand, right? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a weird one, actually. Yeah, my, my buddy... Um, Dakota Wynn, he pointed that out uh, to me actually. And it's odd. I mean, you kind of, I mean, this is like a square enclosure with curved corners. Uh, and it's got four pillars in the kind of square inside it with this beautiful kind of floor made of solid lump, very large slabs of stone all neatly placed together. But the pillar, the one standing T-pillar, it's one of the classic T-pillars, the head's broken off it, with the hands touching the navel, like a garment, almost like a shirt like this going down, carved in the rock and, and with a V-neck as well. And the hands look like there's eight fingers on each hand. And so... This is weird in itself. But then Neshmi Karal stated in one of his papers or one of his lectures that he's a main archaeologist, that all the statues that are being found don't have the correct amount of fingers or, or toes and things like this at Karahan Tepe, as though it's some kind of, it could be some symbolic thing they were working with, or could, it could be, you know, polydactyly, extra fingers, extra toes things like this uh, because we know there are reports of this kind of stuff going back into prehistory especially when you start looking into the old stories again they talk about especially when it comes to giants having extra fingers and toes so uh humor me for a minute so we've got this pillar with eight fingers we've got the face in the ceremonial enclosure that's got almost a serpentine neck We've got the pillar with serpentine features. We've got that other um, statue head that was pulled out that might have an elongated skull. Put all these together. Is there is there the possibility that this ancient civilization, some you know, eleven thousand years ago, was more than just humans? Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're kind of talking about um, kind of ancient aliens stuff, possibly. Yeah. Well, well I, I, I don't I'm, know. I, I'm wondering hybrids, almost like maybe we see it Paracas, Peru. Um, even gotcha. the even um, you mentioned the other site uh, in Malta. You know that hypogeum, um, elongated schools were found there. Almost like this was some kind of hybrid situation. Any thoughts on that here with Carahan Tepe? Yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, it's something that I know Andrew's really into. He's into this sort of Denisovan connection, um, hybrid connection coming down through Russia, Siberia, and so forth, through you know northern parts of Europe, Bosphorus, and everything out, um, uh, the Black Sea rather, and everything else like that. So it's quite possible. I mean, there's. It seems like. If you look at the, the old stories, the old Sumerian traditions, the old kind of texts that were carved, remembered in Sumeria, in the tablets and so forth, they do talk about this, that they created humans. I know this sounds odd. But this is where Zachariah Sitchin got a lot of his ideas from. But if you look at the original texts, the original translations, 
they, you know, Ninha Sag was involved in it, Enlil, Enki, all of them in different different stories vary slightly, that they were, they created humans from blood and clay in the ground. And so they, it seems like they were referencing some kind of hybridization going on, you know, so that, that may well have been the case. And then if, if you look into the whole biblical, you know, and uh, the biblical uh, Nephilim and so forth, yeah, and also the... Um, um, the Book of Enoch and the Watchers and so forth, which are pretty much the same as the Anunnaki, who are the the Enlil and Enki were all part of the Sumerian tradition as well. So they all talk about this. They all talk about this strange, these strange beings who are almost like semi-divine, and also about creating a different race of beings as well from clay and blood and things like this and so what does all that mean i mean when you actually translate it and read it it's really hard to you know could they really have been doing this back then is, is this a reality or is this just symbolic of their kind of creation stories and myths um so the jury's out on that but when you start you know until we get actual samples of bones and things like that we're not going to know too much so this site, obviously, it's it's similar to Gobekli Tepe in that it's in the same region. It's got these similar T-pillars. Yet, as you point out, it, it is different in ways. Do you think this was just like a literally a sister site or cousin site, and it's a little different just because it was a little further away? Or anything else to speak into that point of the similarities but the differences? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, it's, well, this one is more um, remote. It's like not got, there's no water sources near it at all and miles away. So they were collecting water. We know that uh, they were doing that at Gebekli Tepe now as well. They, they, they proved that there was water harvesting going on. Um, <clears throat> but it's um, it's in the Tech Tech Mountains. And this is a very kind of remote, very dry very unfertile area so you can't really grow anything they've never really been able to grow much there there's a few olive trees and pistachio farms and things like that which use very thin soil um thin amount of a small amount of soil on the surface so you can grow that kind of stuff but it's not you know you wouldn't have been growing fields of food around that as well which you which you would have near a gebekli tepe you would have been able to do that more um and the gebekli tepe it appears to like that's, that was before, but it was a few hundred years at least before Karahan Tepe. And the quality of the craftsmanship and the size and magnitude of the, the scale of it in, in total is, is absolutely stunning. Whereas Karahan Tepe seems a bit more um, slightly ruined, if you know what I mean. Uh, and although it's quite vast... I, th I think I, you know, there's a lot we don't know really until it's been properly excavated. That's the problem. But I think it, yeah, it's it's known as the sister site to Gebekli Tepe. It's known as uh, it's got feminine connotations with the name of it as well. If you look into the name of it, it never used to be called Karahan Tepe. That was an invented name in 1997. It used to be called Ketchley or Ketchley, uh, which is Ketchley Tepe, which is like uh, it, it means different things. I think in Turkish, it means something like bald or bald head. So this is the interesting thing with the head. It may have been a memory of that. If you go into the different Kurdish, different types of Northern Kurdish and things like this, Andrew had a good look at this and he found some really interesting things to do with what KEC Kek means. And that's, this is the original name. It's what it always was called before it was excavated, before it was discovered in 1997. And it can mean female, woman, daughter, maiden, even queen, or even goddess. And so it may have been 
a feminine site originally it may have been its primary purpose for Gobetli Tepe may have been more of a male dominated site because it, that was the accumulation over thousands of years of hunters you know and uh probably like a more patriarchal kind of group forming a society there um because there's very few female objects and carvings found at Gobetli Tepe where there's more evidence it appears until you know that the symbolism which suggests it's more feminine as well as the original name one more question about uh this site um why do you think it's the biggest discovery of the 21st century and how is this rewriting mainstream the mainstream version of history yeah i think it's i think it's the biggest story come out of archaeology and since gebekli tepe uh, to be to be to be frank you know that's 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 the way it is it's it's just the age of it is outrageous uh it's on par with gebekli tepe with the the style and everything like this the stone carving technologies the fact now it's got a winter solstice very accurate alignment means that this is the first site they've found anything like this you know they haven't really found that 100 percent at Quebecly Tepe yet there's lots of ideas about it Andrew's got a very good theory it's aligned to Cygnus the stars you know there's the serious idea with it other ones about Orion and so forth but you know when you get looking in the solstices and the equinoxes you can fix it you know you can kind of prove it and this is what is, has happened at Carahan Tepe but also you're looking at um some of the stone carving is quite different here. They, they're carving whole enclosures out of bedrock. So this is like, you know, Malta style, like hypergeum quality. This is where it must have all began. There's cut marks there. These are the first cut marks uh, in the world. There's, um, there's other parts of the site um, where they're leaving kind of tools and evidence in the quarry. You know, so they, they, had, they just had this really surprising understanding and using this abstract artistic element the symbology um and just all these different things you just cannot believe this was just some simplistic hunter-gatherer society it's almost like this high level group just built it it's like they had they must have had a process thousands of years leading up to this they must have done because you don't just create this out of nothing this whole complex and then you've got Gobekli Tepe. Then you've got all these other sites, all with the same style, all across the region. Potentially 12 sites officially, but possibly many more, up to 30 possibly. There's even there's even older sites found up near the Tigris River, because these are all based near the Euphrates. And these are the two sacred rivers of the Garden of Eden that are talked about in the Book of Enoch, that are talked about in the Sumerian traditions, the, linked with the Anunnaki and everything else. And so... The age of it is outrageous. We're now finding, you know, astronomy. We're finding possible, mag you know, working with natural magnetism to enhance seeds and grains. The abstract artistic forms, the, the geometry I've been looking at as well. I'm going to make a kind of announcement about that soon. It's going to come out in a video and uh, in a book, a book I'm working on. I've, we found all these geometries at both of these sites, which no one has spotted before, which prove that they must have had a high understanding of not just measurements like metrology and things like this, but they must have measured the earth by then. They must have had, a, because the, the, we're finding the measurement systems are ancient measurement systems, which are subdivisions of the earth shape and size. So 
so this all fits in with the book of Enoch. This is all that he talks about going off with the angels or the watches and measuring the earth, taking cords and going off to measure and things like this. So you've got all these different things, you know, which prove this to, I call it a super civilization. That's going to be um, what we're going to call the book probably. And um, because it is, it's the first, it's the world's first civilization, the super civilization. And it stretches over a vast area long before the Sumerians, Egyptians, anything in britain or anywhere else and so um yeah and uh, i look forward to seeing what continues to come out of the ground there well hugh this has been a great interview thank you so much for your time uh, how can people follow you connect with you and get involved with your latest projects yes yeah, sure i mean we um uh they can go to megalithomania.co.uk they can search for hugh newman and my partner jj ainsworth um if they want to connect up with us they should come to our conference <laughs> we do that every may early may in glastonbury uh we have some top speakers coming every year we've got a whole bunch of them robin heath irving finkel uh, a whole bunch of people coming um some, we have some top archaeologists joining us as well and we also do a few days of tours around the conference and it's also online as well we do it as i'm going to send you a link for that as well an online version so people can watch it from home because this uh we, we we kind of created it to create this bridge between academia and the alternative world because we felt felt it was not being addressed there's all this you know look at what's happening with graham hancock and ancient apocalypse there's all this kind of back and forth negative energy being thrown around but we also you know we also as you know as you do as well we run tours to many of these places like gebekli tepe we go there couple of times a year Caravan Tepe we do Orkney tours Stonehenge tours and everything else so uh people can check it all out on megalithomania.co.uk and uh yeah and we're gonna we're working hard on um, a couple of uh publications which uh will hopefully be out one of them will be out later this year and another one the next year awesome and to everybody listening or watching make sure and subscribe to the megalithomania youtube uh, channel great videos he's always pumping out content so he thanks again man and safe journeys out there in the world yeah well thanks for having me on uh, d appreciate it and uh look forward to catching up again soon